Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're here recording another program from the venue of Lexington, Kentucky, We're here with a number of other health professionals who are speaking especially about ways to reach communities with better health. Across from me is someone who has really spent a large portion of his life doing just that. His name is Daniel Saw. He is actually the Health Ministries Director for the Canadian Union of Seventh-day Adventists. Daniel, it's great to have you with us. It's a pleasure to be with you, David. And Daniel, there's a very vivid ambiance here. A lot's happening in this uh, exhibit area. So some of the folks are wondering, well, what's the background noise or the music or people talking? We're actually in an exhibit area and various things uh, happening around us. But it's a great environment. We've been rubbing shoulders with people literally from all over the country and beyond. Uh, of course, Canada, Absolutely. part of North America, but definitely beyond the U.S. Precisely. <laughs> so you have this amazing background. I'm looking at your degrees, I mean, you've got a doctorate degree, you've got a master's in public health, you've got a mental health background, and I know you've had some fascinating work uh, with the military, you've served in the armed services. Tell us a little bit about that varied background. Thank you so much. Uh, again, it's a privilege to be here with you all, and uh, greetings to all of our listening audience, and we're happy to be here to share um, anything that can enhance and uh, encourage your health to take back your health. So my background is varied. I love uh, working with people. I love to engage in community development. I love to see people take charge of their health. So I kind of wear many hats, and I really feel that my varied or diverse experience has just come together as a composite so I could offer a multidisciplinary approach to health because I believe that health is dynamic. It's not static. There are many moving parts, and I like to practice holistic health. Um, comprehensive health, mind, body, and spirit. So in my background, I've served in uh, public health. I've served in community engagement and development in terms of projects, both uh, development and emergency. In the military, I served as a chaplain and also a mental health uh, advisor. And we also work with uh, uh, indigenous populations or the indigenous peoples of Canada. Um, in fact, it's amazing. In the Canadian military, we have a component that particularly and primarily train um, uh, indigenous peoples to serve in the military in their communities. It's called the Canadian Rangers. And I've had the privilege to work with them as well. So um, it's been a very you know dynamic, fluid process and just a learning experience. I'm so happy to bring that together because community is very diverse, right? And many people are involved in that. So if we can speak their language, connect with them at their level, we're able to better relate to them and serve them. 
One of the things that I think is fascinating to some of us here in the United States is this Canadian Rangers. I mean, people throughout Indian country, many have heard, and others are saying, you know, it's the first time I'm I'm hearing about this. Tell us a little bit more about that and how you've been involved with those individuals. Wonderful. So in my training, um, we train the, those who are generally recruited from the population. And, of course, there's different trades. So some will be an engineer, some will be a medic, um, some would be a cook. Um, I particularly chose to be a chaplain, and I, then I specialize in mental health and the wellness program. Um, along with that training, there is a particular program within the military training that focuses on empowering um, indigenous peoples who enroll and who are recruited to serve in indigenous populations or First Nation communities all across Canada. Mm-hmm. So once they're enrolled, everything is paid for their accommodations, their tuition, their living, their food, everything. And then they achieve the rank of a military status. So some Mm. will start off as a a corporal, some will go up the ranks of sergeant and and staff sergeant. It's amazing. And they'll just keep going up the different ranks and they will serve and be posted throughout Canada. They really deploy when there are emergencies. So if Mm -hmm. there's uh, storms, if there's flooding, there's earthquakes, natural disasters, Mm -hmm. they're called upon. And they are, um, there's different units all across Canada. So if it's in one region, then they can activate one of the units and then deploy those Canadian Rangers to serve. Um, I remember particularly there was a major uh, flooding and a water dam broke in one of our flying only communities in northern Ontario. Wow. Close, going toward the Arctic. Okay. And they called in the Rangers and they helped with evacuation, safe proofing homes, um, assisting uh, with debris and cleanup. They were phenomenal to work with. And I had the privilege of working with them through logistics, through um, some health educational programs and assisting with the whole management of the emergency crisis. One of the things that's become a very uh, hot topic and a fascinating topic to me as a as a health professional is uh, the aftermath of some of these natural disasters or man-made cataclysmic events. We're talking, of course, uh, you know, about things like PTSD, post-traumatic yes. stress disorder, but there's a lot now coming out in the literature about post-traumatic growth. Yes. And uh, help us kind of understand some of this because so many things, uh, you know, when we're in Indian country, we hear the stories of people who haven't been directly impacted. We hear a lot of discussion about historical trauma, things that have happened to their tribe, their elders. Help us understand how some of the very same things that can overwhelm people can also be some things that can be channeled for growth. Thank you. That is a brilliant uh, point and question. I think that this is a critical time, as you know from a Canadian perspective. But I just want to say this as a side note, that when we speak about um, Native Americans, um, indigenous peoples, they are borderless. So especially in Mm. North America, um, a First Nation um, or indigenous person in Canada can cross the border Um, into the U.S., into Mexico, all across North America. They have treaties that exist long even before Canada became a nation and even before the United States was officially uh, a nation in 1776. And in Canada, it was 1867. So they've been existing and they've been living on this land. This is their territory. um, And, of course, they live off the land. So that's an important point to note because they don't see territories and, and borders they're they're boundless in other words the, there's no boundaries that restrict them and i know that there are um, colleagues that i know who are indigenous that have family members in the united states mm-hmm, and in mexico mm-hmm. so getting back to um, the original question it has been a very difficult 
process for healing for indigenous peoples across not only Canada but throughout North America, the intergenerational trauma. Mm. In Canada, it made headlines. Unfortunately, they had a system that was set up called a residential school system. And, of course, it was very unfortunate because um, it was primarily, of course, Christian-based, the Roman Catholic Church, some Anglican, and some other uh, Protestant churches, but primarily those were the main residential school system. The government supported that. It was a way of thinking to train and to culture or enculture the indigenous peoples of Canada in a way that um, was, you know, kind of ethnocentric or almost Eurocentric and and, and it, it actually ruptured uh, and pulled them out of their culture, uprooted them. Mm-hmm. And so the the emotional pain, the physical pain of that, the displacement, even within their own uh, country, their own land, that created uh, a plethora of problems that we still now have to deal with. So what I've been noticing is that in some of the projects I've engaged in um, as health ministries and also with our humanitarian arm and agency of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, namely ADRA, we've been we've been having the opportunity as they've opened the doors of their homes and their communities, but their hearts to us. And we are listening. We have started with a listening to our, and they tell us their story. It's all about the narrative. And as we listen to the narrative, we ask them, well, how can we help you? And part of an uh, initiative that was launched was called the TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Mm. And it is learning their story, hearing their story, their pain, but then seeing how they can heal. They want to heal. They want to close those wounds. Mm-hmm. And so PTSD has been, of course, used uh, primarily a lot in the literature, in the body of literature, um, as it relates to military work, right? So we see, you know, soldiers coming back. Mm-hmm. It used to, you know, be combat stress, operational stress injuries, um, soldiers' heart, but it's now evolved as psychologists and psychiatrists has now identified it as post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. And that happens not only to military work, but any type of crisis, loss, or disaster. Anyone can develop PTSD in any one of those disruptions of life because they um, impose uh, a stress. They create such a stress on the body that this stress now um, engenders this trauma that they experience. I know it's a psychological-based, of course, um, condition. And so particularly with the residential school system and the unfortunate experiences that the indigenous peoples of Canada and even native people uh, all around, mm-hmm. um, shall we, the world and within North America particularly, this trauma has been carried with them painfully throughout their lives. And so this PTSD has been oftentimes bottled up, has been suppressed, has been quieted. Some people say, oh, just, you know, get over it. You know, um, in the military, they would say, suck it up, buttercup. But it's much mm-hmm. more than that. Mm-hmm. And as it relates to our brothers and sisters, our friends, in indigenous communities, we're so glad that they're now coming out, they're speaking out, we're acknowledging things, for example, land acknowledgements, we're also wanting to help them with health intervention programs, and what we're finding is that as they tell their story, healing is taking place. Mm. The ability to express that and to be affirmed, firstly acknowledging the wrongs that were done against them, acknowledging it and actually seeking to right those wrongs. So mm-hmm. the first step is awareness and acknowledgement. The second piece is there is some type of restitution. So I know the government has done things by providing funding and resources to their communities, mm-hmm. reinstating lost land. And something you mentioned um you know, Dr. Rose, on 
PTG. Mm-hmm. This is something I did in part for my research, my dissertation, that is post-traumatic growth. How can we take a negative experience and convert it or turn it around, translate it into something positive? Mm. This requires um, some counseling, some you know th- psychotherapeutic intervention because it's a shift in thinking. Because mm-hmm. most people will just stay where they are, wallow, mind the problem, nurture it. But how can we now tap in and say, please tell me your story. What can we learn from the story and how can we change the story? Hmm. So PTG, post-traumatic growth, is really learning and growing from a negative experience and allowing it to become a positive experience in their lives so that they can heal those wounds, close that gap, tell that story, help other people in their healing process. So it is truly a mindset change. I would call it a a shift or paradigm shift in one's mindset. So what's so fascinating to me about all this is you've been there, you know, at the grassroots level and at an organizational level, as you've been working with community programs, disaster relief. And I know you've partnered with many government agencies, faith-based organizations, tribal organizations, so tell us a little bit about some of the things that have inspired you, some of the things that you've seen come together. I know there's a, a native school that you've worked with in Canada. Tell us uh, that story. Wonderful. I'm going to tell you that story. Uh, I believe that any fundamental change in the community begins with partnership, relationship building. That's the key. And uh, we talked about it earlier, but it's learning to listen. Listen and active listening. And then saying not how we would like to help you, but how can we help you. Rephrasing mm-hmm. that question. Regarding the wonderful work in northern Canada, it's uh, in uh, the province of Alberta. Uh, we have a school called the Mamaway Toskaton Native School, also known as MANS. It is located on four major reservations. Mm. Four band councils come together. And what is amazing is that our church, Seven Adventist Church, once wanted to be a part of the healing and reconciliation process. So what they did was offer free education to young people, to youth, to students from those four major reservations. Mm. The enrollment has peaked over 200 students mm. that are offered free education. They also get a free lunch as well. Okay. And we also are uh, using a trauma-informed approach and a cultural-informed approach. That means the learning lessons are used through cultural lenses, cultural mm. customs. And what is amazing is that I just met one of the chief from the Samson Reserve. His name is Chief Saddleback. And maybe some of our listening friends may have heard of this chief. His son was a graduate, attended our school and graduated. And he's gone on to post-secondary education. Mm. And I was speaking with him and he said how that made a big difference by the school learning, listening, partnering together with them. Tremendous. I know you've got a lot of great life lessons, a lot of interesting things, practical things that we're going to continue to talk about on today's edition of the broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose. I'm speaking with Daniel Saw. We're going to be back with more right after these important messages. Stay tuned. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. 
That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA service center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. It's great to have you with us for today's show. I'm speaking with Daniel Saw. Dr. Saw is uh, actually heading up the health ministries work of Seventh-day Adventists in Canada. He's been sharing with us from his diverse background. And uh, Daniel, as we move into this segment, a lot of folks know of Seventh-day Adventists in Indian country, a lot of exciting things happening as far as collaboration. But tell us a little bit about your role in Canada, the bigger picture for someone who may not be a Seventh-day Adventist. Why is a church involved in health programming, for example. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Rose. Great question. I really think that uh, it is part and parcel of the fabric of our church and the DNA of our church. We have always been involved in health as part of our ministry, as part of our personal lifestyle and experience. In fact, um, I don't know what you had for breakfast this morning, but uh, our listening friends, but if you had uh, something with a K on the box, it's called Kellogg's. Uh, quick story, of course, uh, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, a medical doctor, uh, which many have heard, um, him and his brother started up, you know, Kellogg, Serial City, and he was also a pioneer in health ministry work, and in fact, health work, you know, development work. He had a sanitarium called Battle Creek in Michigan, and many people came there. So mm-hmm. that started, he was a part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, 
And of course, that started um, the alignment with the health work and what we do in terms of proclaiming the gospel, because we believe that the gospel is about healing and wholeness, making a person whole, mind, body, and spirit. And so my work in Canada is to help our churches integrate that. Um, so we have a health-focus-based ministry. If we're doing community development work, if we're doing anything that is helping people enhance their health, we want to ensure that that is incorporated in a lot of our church ministry outreach programs. Part of that is also our mandate to work with Indigenous peoples of Canada. Mm. How can we work with them? partner with them by listening to them first and as they share with us well we would like help in mental health in dealing with suicidal ideation and dealing with obesity or um, diabetes we are very much motivated and we feel honored to work with them and we have been doing that so a lot of the work i do as a health ministries professional but also with adra humanitarian arm and agency incorporates that work targeting that audience so your background among other things includes Formal mental health training. That's correct. Yes. When we talk about challenges, stresses, modern day living, whether it's with indigenous peoples or any other segment of the population, it seems like today there are more stressors, there's more depression, more mental health needs. You are now working in a, in a broad level. You're not just dealing with, you know, one on one with patients. Tell us how that background has informed what you do with communities. Thank you. I, I think that learning from the one-on-one -on -one experience builds and has enhanced and contributed to understanding things at a more of a wider, comprehensive, or macro level. But at the end of the day, I never forget that when we serve, we are helping a person one life at a time. Mm. So that has always been my philosophy. But... I never forget to listen because even at a more larger level or a different level, a wider level of work, we're still dealing with people, human needs. And so each one are equally important as the greater whole. Mm -hmm. So that helps to inform my practice. And what we're seeing though across the board on the landscape is an increase in mental health issues. That includes psychological and emotional trauma, um, increased levels of stress, um, we're seeing a lot of people experiencing depression, high rates of depression, anxiety. And um, I think ever since the pandemic has happened, that has exacerbated these problems. Mm. We also see a spike even within the indigenous communities, First Nation communities across Canada, and I would say maybe perhaps across North America. And um, that is something that we really have to address because it's so serious and the people's lives are at stake. One of the things that I've, I've learned about you, Dr. Saw, and you and I have had the privilege of getting acquainted here in this venue. You were uh, presenting one of the workshops here at this conference. And I saw early on that you're a person who has a very holistic approach to health. We've heard other seminars here dealing with exercise and other modalities. Talk to us maybe in a way that a tribe would find relevant, a faith community would find relevant. If a group of people in any community is saying, we want to try to do something to impact some of these maybe disparities in our community, mm. some of these needs. What today can be done by, let's say they're not professionals, but they just want to be part of the solution? Absolutely. I'd like to share a short story. One of, our, one of my most fascinating and memorable projects was a First Nation community on, I would say, North America's largest freshwater island. Do you know that one? Wow, you got me on that. Okay. The largest freshwater island? In North America. Tell it's me what it is. Manitoulin. 
Okay. Manitoulin. Um, it's between Lake Huron and, of course, Lake Erie. It's a beautiful place uh, mm. between northwestern Ontario and uh, um, Upper Peninsula in Michigan, that area. So Manitoulin has uh, a First Nation community called Wikwemkong. And they had high rates of suicide and violence, mental health issues. So we had a contact there that reached out to us, and they said, can you help us with our youth program? In particular, they wanted to help their young people understand their culture, address mm -hmm. the mental health issues. So we said, sure. So we came, and we did a listening tour, and they we talked to some of the youth and the leaders, and they said, okay, can you help us bring a program and help to maybe partner with us? So how could we partner? Well, they wanted some maybe some seed funding that they asked for and some resources, so mental health expertise and specialties. So we said, sure, we set the date. They developed a program called a 10-day OALE, Outdoor Adventure Learning Experience. Wow. Part of that is addressing mental health issues. Part of that is teaching them to understand and explore their culture, their heritage and history, and then empowering them. So as a result of this program, we helped to fund them. We provided some resources in terms of mental health training and coaching. And each one who went through that program were so motivated that they went on to complete their high school program, graduated, and went on to secondary, post-secondary education. So we know that the program works. It's effective. But what is amazing is that many of them who've gone have come back to give back to their community. Mm, wonderful. So it is amazing what a simple intervention like this can do, but the effects are transformative. So the uh, acronym you used was O-A-L-E. Yes, Outdoor uh, Adventure Learning Experience. I just like the name, Outdoor Adventure Learning Experience, but it was getting them uh, kind of reconnected with some of their cultural roots. Is that part of it? Exactly. And they went on this um, canoe trip as well. So they went throughout the territories quite large, and they would backpack, they would stop, they would have a learning cultural experience or encounter, then they keep going to different sites, learning points, and they would return back to their starting point. So it was a journey for them, a journey of learning, a journey of healing, a journey of wholeness. Wonderful. So it sounds like an amazing model, and this was something that was a joint partnership between the indigenous peoples in that area and the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Were there other players involved too? No, just primarily the First Nation community and, of course, um, the Sound of Venice Church through ADRA. And it was a wonderful experience, and they still continue to do that. Well, now, this is another interesting connection that a lot of folks, even if they've had some acquaintance with Seventh-day Adventists, their eyes kind of glaze over when they start hearing about ADRA, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, uh, community projects. Tell us a little bit about ADRA, just what that is. Sure. So ADRA is an acronym for the Adventist Development Relief Agency. It is the official humanitarian arm and agency of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We work uh, regardless of religion, of class, of creed orientation. Um, we serve everybody. Our motto is actually to serve humanity as God intended. Wow. Yes. So ADRA is not the Seventh-day Adventist Church organized church. It's not part of the structure of the organized church per se. Per I mean, se. It, so you're working for the organized church overseeing the work of the local churches and uh, what you would call conferences. Is that the appropriate terminology? That's correct. That's right. And then ADRA is kind of a parallel organization. Is that safe to say? Parallel organization. I think that's very accurate. So basically, you're pulling these partners in, whether it's uh, people that have a common uh, outlook on ministry like ADRA 
whether it's a, a tribal population that recognizes need, but you're not just serving indigenous peoples. No. Um, if there's a need in an inner city, say Toronto, are, are you involved with things there? 100%. Urban, rural, um, indigenous, we serve all the needs, wherever the need is. If there's an uh, emergency, a crisis, disaster, or a development uh, issue a community uh, need, for example, a health crisis. If it's a, a emergency crisis, we're there. We respond and we work across the board. So I think people have this connection with the disaster responsiveness. They've got a connection with trying to build infrastructure, work with uh, grassroots organizations. Yes. But I think that we've got this other piece of the puzzle, and there's so many Seventh-day Adventist churches now that are offering health programs for their communities. We want to talk about this broader holistic concept, not just intervening when there's a crisis, but how do we provide preventive services? Are you okay with us launching into that shortly? Excellent, yes. Okay, we do have to step away just briefly. Sure. If someone is connecting with this and says, wow, I'd like to learn a lot more with Dr. Saw, learn more about Dr. Saw, and learn about some of the programs he's involved with, how would someone do that? Oh, okay. Well, you know what? Um, you could definitely reach me by email or visit our website. So, for example, uh, at adra, www.adra.ca, and my email is healthministries at adventist.ca. I'll be happy to field or answer any questions or respond to any of your inquiries. Okay, we have to step away. We're going to go back. We'll give that contact information again when we come back after the break. I'm Dr. DeRose. Dr. Saw is staying by you. Please stay by as well. A lot more interesting material coming up in our next segment. We'll be right back. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Unlike other health concerns, mental illness is not always easy to see. Depression won't show up on an eye chart, and you can't measure it on your bathroom scale. Sorting out a mental health concern is not something to attempt on your own. You won't find a bipolar disorder by looking at a thermometer. Like many other health conditions, help for mental illness takes professional diagnosis and treatment. Anxiety won't just go away under a stick-on bandage. So the sooner you seek treatment, the better. If you or a loved one has a mental health concern, don't go it alone. Find out what to do. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Learn more at samhsa.gov support. That's samhsa.gov support. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. 
I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov slash meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back for the second half of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Across from me in this actual physical location, it's not a virtual interview, uh, across from me is Dr. Daniel Saw. Dr. Saw and I had the privilege of getting acquainted as we're uh, both presenting meetings here in Lexington, Kentucky, at a venue that's drawing together many people who are active in community health. Dr. Saw, you have been coordinating, working, collaborating with groups throughout Canada, especially representing the health ministries of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Canada. Yes. One of the things that we were starting to touch on in the previous segment is just this uh, preventive aspect, not just responding to disasters, not just helping in crises, not just helping a community when they say we've got this need. And we want to launch into that. Before we do, I promised my listeners that we'd give out your contact information again. You had mentioned contact information for ADRA, which is the humanitarian service arm of the church, right? Yes. Give me that website again in Canada. No problem. So it's uh, www.adra.ca. Okay, A-D-R-A for A-D-R-A. Adventist Development, Development and Relief, Relief Agency. Agency. Okay. Precisely. And that's .ca. .ca. You guys are in Canada. Yes. And then you have a personal email that you're willing to allow people to contact sure. you through. Yeah, and I'd just like to add, if they want to visit our international website, we have adra.org, so www.adra.org. Okay, yes. okay. Um, so they can uh, access many resources and stories, podcasts, and be uh, definitely learn more about us. And then my personal email is healthministries at adventist.ca. So healthministries, plural, at adventist.ca. Okay, great. So tell us a little bit, Daniel, about some of these preventive services that are being offered in communities by Seventh-day Adventists. Thank you. We are very much involved in um, a lot of health education programs, nutritional programs. Uh, we love to uh, address uh, family issues. Particularly, I want to share with you a story. One of the churches that I've worked with is, uh, is very, was very focused on health in their community, and they would always plan and prepare for a health expo, an annual health expo. So we called it um, the Bronte Vegan Health uh, Expo, hmm. and it was so powerful. We had over 500 people come from the community. Wow. We had vendors from the community. They're not particularly religious. Or they're, you know, Some of them are non-religious, and we had plant-based vendors. We had farmers. We had people who are introducing new health products, either mm. soaps and essential oils, massage therapy. We had over 25 vendors, over 500 attendees, including something for the children. We have a children's health corner mm. where they can learn some healthy baking, get involved about how food can, of course, enhance people's moods. We actually ran seminars along with that. And so it was a way of educating, informing, raising awareness. We had seminars. We actually showed a short health documentary as well. But beyond that, 
we actually started something called Bless You. It's called Bless, Bronte Life Enrichment Enhancement Series. So Bronte Life Enrichment Enhancement Series. So we invited people out of this group to have a like a support group. Every month they would come for a Bless seminar. Uh-huh. And that way it created community. And it helped people address issues that we're going through. So we talked anywhere ranging from autism to diabetes to um, exercise to nutritional classes that we conducted. And it just was amazing. The group is still going on. It's been going for the last um, almost 10 years now. And it's been really effective because people want to know what they can do to keep well, to take charge of their health or to improve their health, their existing health. I love this concept. I myself was involved with a church some years ago that had the same vision in another part uh, of North America here in the U.S., and they did something similar. They would offer health programs for the community, maybe a diabetes program, a heart disease program, and then they'd have some kind of monthly health event. So this seems like a model that's happening in a number of places. I've actually had the privilege of speaking at some of these events in other places. And what I love about what you've expressed is you do something together with the community, and then you say, let's continue this dialogue. Let's continue this friendship. That's right. Exactly. So this is powerful. You know, here's, tell me what you think about this. When I often speak for community groups, yes. I'll say, you have an incredible resource here. So you've invited me to come and, and speak in this venue, but look around. Maybe it's a church. Maybe it's a community center. Maybe it's an Indian health service clinic, wherever it is. People are coming together, and today we're finding so much in the medical research literature about social connectedness, That's right. social support. Help us to understand this from the eyes of someone who's got a mental health background as well as involved with program planning. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think the key, as we know here fundamentally, in your experience as well as a physician, as a minister, is building healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. I think that all fundamental change begins with a relationship and a desire to change. And as it relates to social connectedness, I never forget the words of the English poet Sir John Donne, no man, no person is an mm. island unto him or herself. Um, we are part of the greater whole, a part of the continent. I'm just paraphrasing that mm-hmm, last part. Mm-hmm. But what it really is, it's his message, the tenor of that message is that we were never meant to live in isolation. And this world has been increasingly disconnecting us. Mm. You know, people living in their bubbles, their Netflix bubbles, their entertainment trap bubbles, whatever it is. And we've become in, in such a individualistic society. But from the very beginning of time, we were meant to live in social communities, to be communal in our living. You know, the saying, the old adage that says it takes a village to raise a child. Mm. I was that child. And that village was my neighborhood, my church community, uh, the place where I grew up. That made a world of difference. Social connectedness has been found in the current literature, in research, that it improves one's overall health. It improves their self-esteem, self-confidence, self-worth. They feel that there's value. They feel affirmed. Um, it actually enhances one's mental health. So um, a decrease in depression and anxiety because you feel that you can relate to someone else. So social connectedness is indispensable to one's overall health, mental health, their physical health, um, their spiritual health. And I think if we um, don't address that issue, then it can exacerbate the problems that we're now seeing. 
So we, of course, have Canadian listeners as well as listeners in the United States. We have listeners up in Alaska and kind of spanning North America. (laughs) But there's folks, because we podcast, I mean, there's folks overseas that tune into the broadcast. Let's speak especially to Canadian listeners because that's your special area of expertise and region. Let's say someone's listening to our dialogue and they say, okay, I'm listening to a radio show or listening to a podcast, and uh, I don't have any social connections. I'm Mm. isolated. Is there something an individual can do that can make a difference? Yes. I think that if you feel that you're disconnected, perhaps if you can use the technology that we have now. So we have our online virtual platform. Mm. You can create groups on WhatsApp. You can create groups on different you know, social media platforms. And maybe you want to be a part of a group that may be talking about mental health. There's a mental mm-hmm. health support group online. There could be psychosocial support health groups. There could even be health or nutrition groups. So I really feel that we need to, where we feel um, the need the greatest, we should find the resources out there. There are many out there. And of course, it doesn't have to be a large group. It could be one, two people. I mean, two at the you know minimum, but it could be more than two. Mm-hmm. But I really think that we need to do something and not remain where we are. Because if we stay there, we're going to mind the problem, mm-hmm. nurture the problem, and it'll only get worse. So I think that we can do many things. There are a plethora of resources online. And if we just Google it, we're going to find something. And uh, it's going to find something that appeals to us. And then there's something for someone out there. All of this begs another question because, you know, in today's society, a lot of folks connecting via Internet. Of course, we have listeners who are in areas that don't have uh, uh, that capacity. They may just be listening on a conventional radio. Yes. But for those that have those options, one of the dialogues that, that we often hear is, well, why should I come to a physical support group? Why should I come to the tribal community center? Why should I go to this church group? Why should I go to the AA meeting? From a mental health perspective, is there value in actually the face-to-face communication? If it's available, how do you respond to that? Absolutely. You know, long before the Internet arrived and, of course, this online technology, we were meeting with people. It would be in our homes, in in a village, in, in a community center. So we know that, of course, with the advent of modern technology, things have changed, but that has also created its own drawbacks. There are some adverse effects. So it did increase isolation and individualism and creating these compartments and where people feel, okay, disconnected. So what I'd like to say is that according to the research that I've read and even that I've been engaged in, it shows that there is a unique difference when people come together and there's that physical touch, that Mm. that face-to-face. It does something. Touch is therapeutic. Seeing someone, their smile, physically is therapeutic Mm. while we can still derive some benefits online it's better than if we had no option at all that would certainly be one of the options but where it is possible wherever you are wherever you're listening from if you can connect to a community um, there's a book i read called tribes by seth Godin. I don't know if you heard of that one. I think I have heard of it, but I've not read it. It's brilliant. He's talking about the value of finding your niche, uh, people mm. that you're compatible with, people that you can connect with and that can relate to. And he says that the health benefits are immense. And that's just a simple book, but it is the truth. And we want to encourage you, if you're feeling lonely out there, if you're feeling isolated, find a group that you can connect with, Some a group that you can identify with because it's going to only enhance your health and be a win-win for you. 
What's so interesting about what you're sharing, uh, Dr. Saw, is a previous interview in this very venue, I had uh, Dr. Ernie Medina on the show. And, of course, speaking about exercise, he has such a passion for that. <laughs> And he was speaking about some of the ideal exercise characteristics. He was talking about outdoor and doing it in groups. And as I'm thinking about his interview and what we're talking about here, one of the things that I took away from that is, you know what, there's all these things that make, let's say, physical activity ideal. We can't always have that. Precisely. It may be a storm and we're on a treadmill or we're doing something (laughs) in our home. Yes. But do something. Do something. I hear you saying the same thing in the mental health arena. If the best we can do is get on the phone and call someone, get on a Zoom group or some kind of chat or or something, uh, do that. But there's more power if we can come together as people. Precisely. Historically, we have to touch on this because Mm. as I deal with people throughout indigenous communities, of course, many have embraced Christianity, but there are still many others that say that's a European religion that was yes. uh, that was forced upon us, right. and there's some great distance there. Mm. But I find it very reassuring when I hear about church health groups that are not uh, necessarily always talking about spiritual issues. I mean, yes, these are you know part of our, our DNA, as as you might express. But at the same time, they're saying, what can we do where we come together as community? We do this health event, this health program. Just how important is that from your perspective as far as a a church's role in a community? Absolutely. I I think the church uh, can definitely be effective in helping to build community capacity and resilience. And especially in light of what we've experienced over the last uh, couple years with this pandemic, we realize that it's so important to empower individuals and invest in their health. And I think that the church has a critical role and people are looking forward to that. They're anticipating that and that's where we're trying to scratch where the itch is. We've got a lot of fascinating stuff that we've still got to cover, but we're almost out of time. We've got one last segment left. We have to step away just briefly. Dr. Saw is staying by. We're going to share some things that I think you really don't want to miss in our final segment of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. We'll be right back. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. 
My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. Aces are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the final segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Dr. David DeRose here with Dr. Daniel Saw. We've been speaking about ways that... Church groups, community groups, tribal groups can work together, how we can partner, exciting things that are happening. Daniel, you bring this uh, this wealth of experience for those that are, are just uh, joining the interview. You've got your Ph.D., your master's in public health trained, you're a mental health professional. Some people are, are starting to wonder what you haven't done, but you're in this leadership role for the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the Health Ministries Director for the Adventist Church in Canada. And uh, you've been sharing some uh, some real-life stories, some partnerships, ways that individuals can connect with their communities. I know one of the things that's become a passion in many indigenous communities here in the United States uh, is community gardens. Yes. I remember working with a tribal health group in California. They had a, a strong community garden program that they were doing, yet I've noticed that sometimes maybe smaller tribes, uh, maybe not indigenous peoples at all, and they're wondering, well, where do I start? I know some of the churches in your region there in Canada have taken an interest in community gardens. Tell us a little bit about that story. Absolutely. It is so interesting to note that the cost of living has increased. It has spiked. Mm. That also includes in the same breath food. So cost of food is expensive. It, you know, many people cannot afford certain foods anymore. And uh, if you want healthier foods, you're going to have to pay. There's a price tag for that. Wow. So one of the things that we were inspired with is to connect with communities. And specifically, I'll cite an example of working with a First Nation community um, in northern Alberta, um, just north of the capital of Alberta in Edmonton. Um, vast land as several uh, hundred acres and one of the things they told us was that we have all this land we're not really using it hmm. and then he told us that access to food and affordability so both accessibility and affordability was very difficult for them so we proposed the idea would you be interested in if we partnered together with you to develop um, eco-based gardens eco-based sustainable gardens now let me just break that down what that means is that we create a garden that is almost self watering so we mm. we have a a water system that it runs through the garden bed so it's a raised garden bed mm -hmm. and then we have families that adopt the bed so we train them on basic agricultural principles techniques 
And then we work with them to plant what they want. So many of them wanted potatoes and they okay. wanted garlic and carrots. Uh-huh. And what was amazing is that the first year we started that cycle, they were so excited to harvest their own potatoes, uh-huh. wash it off. We took pictures of this and they said, we want to do it again because the whole purpose of these projects is not a one-time, uh, what we call a handout. We call it a hand up. We want to give them, we want to empower them. This is their garden. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so what was amazing, they embraced it and that garden continues in the third year. So we partnered with uh, one of our local churches and an organization called Sulads and a First Nation community. And so we have those uh, the church and the Sulad group that's on the ground to work with the First Nation community to ensure that the garden is going well. So we had donations of wood, mm. of uh, soil, and some seeds. And would you believe it, they're able to harvest their food and get fresh, healthy, organic vegetables. Tremendous, tremendous. Now, did I understand right that the land was actually tribal lands? Yes, it was. And so you got this interesting partnership where where folks from the tribal lands are asking you to come share your expertise, even though many people <laughs> in Indian country have historically had that expertise. Yeah, precisely, right? yes. So, uh, so it's an interesting connection, and then basically helping people just among the indigenous population, or was this helping people outside the native population? Well, this particular uh, example is uh, helping people within the indigenous population, but Mm -hmm. we've also done uh, general eco-gardens in other communities, in rural communities, and even in urban communities as well, because food prices has gone up astronomically. Mm -hmm. So certainly um, there's a need for it both in both uh, situations, in both communities. Now, I've got a lot of listeners in in the lower 48. I got like we said earlier, you know, <laughs> listeners in, in Alaska, they're listening to this. They say, hey, we wish we had somebody like Dr. Saw from Canada here in our neck of the woods. Is there a way to tap into any of this material? Do you have information about how to do the raised bed uh, gardening? What can we do for these folks? Yes. In fact, uh, my team and myself, we developed a eco-based manual with practical steps. It's on our website at www.adra.ca and they will go under the national or Canadian page because ADRA does work internationally and also domestically. So it's a free guide. It's PDF. They can download it. It's from from starting from A to Z. It's a step-by-step manual and there's resources in there. There's pictures so they can access as a free resource. This is amazing. So I'm going to get on the web. Okay. I'm going to go www.adraadra.ca. Yes. And once I get there, I'm sure there's hundreds or thousands of documents. How am I going to find this amazing <laughs> resource that I'm hearing about for the first time, just really? by the way, for the benefit of my listeners? Okay. So when you go on the main web uh, site and that web page, you'll scroll down and there'll be different categories of work. You'll see nutrition, you'll see health education, you'll see a maple leaf. Uh-huh. And that maple leaf is representing our Canadian or national program. You click on that and on that page, it'll take you the landing page. You will see uh, eco-based gardens and okay. then the manual is there. You just It's hyperlinked. You click on it, you can download it. Okay. I, I'm excited about this. Eco-based gardens. Yes. So I think we got a lot of listeners who are going to check out the eco-based gardens. And it can be done readily, inexpensively. Uh, you can get donations from local businesses. We can partner with them uh, at ADRO or as a health ministry through our churches. We really believe in empowering and giving the tools back to the community and to see them smile and be able to, to sustain themselves. I'm going to be really honest with you, Daniel. I appreciate a number of things about you, but one of the things I appreciate is you also had the courage to give out your 
personal email address <laughs> to folks on the air. Because, you know, really, I'm just going to be honest with you. There's going to be people going to the website all excited about it. They're not going to find it or they say it's the thing is not downloading. Um, I don't expect that, you know, this will take up your, your job for the next month, <laughs> but, um, give us that, that email address again, because that's really valuable sure. just that you're giving us that personal contact. Not a problem. So again, uh, it is www.adra.ca. Now I know triple W is not used anymore because I'm kind of old school. So it's really adra.ca, but just in the HTTP, um, you know, search, uh, engine line. Um, so adra.ca and then when you get to the main page, you scroll down. Uh, at the bottom of the page, you'll see different programs we do. One of the programs is the Canadian program with a maple leaf. That's our national program. You click on that, and that takes you to our Canadian homepage or landing page. And then you scroll down, and you'll see Eco-Based Community Gardens. You click on that. On the PDF, you'll get a free Eco-Based Manual Guide. Okay, I, th- I think we've got the process down. And, and how about connecting with you? Someone says, I want to talk with uh, Dr. Saw. Happy to reach out. You send me an email. I can't promise I'll respond to you immediately, but I certainly will. I have about a 24-hour uh, turnaround rate. So oh, wow. <laughs> if I miss it, then I think uh, my administrative assistant will pick it up. Okay. And is it, if I got it right, health ministries, plural, at adventist.ca? Yes, that's correct. Okay. As we're winding up the show, I know you and I were speaking off air about some of the other things that you have a, a passion about and helping people see the big picture. I don't want to close the interview before we have an opportunity to, to touch on some of those topics. So share a little bit about what's on your heart. Well, I just wanted to share that, you know, as we were talking about our indigenous peoples of Canada and also indigenous peoples just throughout North America, uh, it has been a long journey for them. It has been difficult through their, the negative experiences that they have, um, you know, gone through and, and personally encountered through inter, intergenerational trauma, through being displaced in their land. And uh, I just want to say that, um, as a church, traditionally the church contributed to that. Mm. But I want to say, as someone who is a part of this church, it was the wrong picture of God that was portrayed and painted, it was not the right message conveyed. And so whatever we can do to contribute to the healing process, the reconciliation, we are here to do that here and now and for the rest of this journey in life. And so we just want to just uh, thank all of our uh, listening friends and particularly of those who are of the indigenous communities. We, we love you. We appreciate you. And we want to be a part of your journey in the healing process. So if you don't mind, we're happy to work with you, partner with you, journey alongside you. I love not only the expression, but the reality of it because you're out there doing it. It's not just someone saying, you know, we're sorry and and we want to help. You've shared with us on this show ways that the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Canada is trying to collaborate with uh, indigenous peoples, trying to make a difference in First Nation communities. Uh, And it goes both ways, right? Yes. So the blessing goes from indigenous peoples to others and back the other way. And it's great to see the spirit of collaboration. As we wind up, uh, Dr. Saw, any final words? Someone has heard this show. Maybe they're struggling with issues in their own life. Uh, just a, a final kind of take-home message. Sure. Just remember this. You're not alone. Uh, you were created on purpose, not by accident. One of the conversations I had with one of the elders of a First Nation community is this common ground that we, we arrived at, and that is we're talking about the Creator, Creator God, who made us in his image and likeness and that means you are worth it so keep on living life 
with purpose, not by accident. Tremendous. Thank you so much, Dr. Saw. You're very welcome, Dr. DeRose. A pleasure to be here with you today. And to every one of you who've tuned into the broadcast today, I'm Dr. David DeRose. Thank you for joining us. As always, I'm wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.